Hello again and welcome to the Latter-day Saint Mission Cast. I'm your host, Nick Galetti. On this episode, we're going to kind of do a hodgepodge kind of episode. We're going to talk with our guest, Stephanie Dib Sorensen, who joined us in a previous episode in our Basic Doctrine series on covenants and ordinances. But this time, we're actually going to do kind of part two on prophets and revelation, because she is the adjunct professor at BYU that teaches living prophets, and she has a lot of great insights to share on that subject. She also wrote a book, kind of a workbook, on the challenge that President Nelson issued regarding studying Jesus Christ in the Topical Guide. Her workbook is called Learn of Me, and we're going to talk about that because not only is it relevant to modern-day prophets, but it's also a great exercise and something that missionaries should do prior to or even on their missions to fulfill this challenge, to come to know the Savior whom they represent in doing missionary work. So, this should be a wonderful episode, tons of great content, again, from one of our favorite guests, Stephanie Sorensen. We're having back, again, Stephanie Dib Sorensen to talk about some things that may not seem like they relate, but I promise you that they do. So what we're going to do with this episode is a two-part, or part two, rather, of our Basic Doctrine series on Prophets and Revelation. And we're also going to talk about some of the very specific things that prophets have been challenged to do themselves personally, but that they've also challenged us to do in coming to know Jesus Christ better. So this is a loaded episode. Um, (laughs) Stick with us, but it's good stuff. So welcome back, Stephanie Sorensen. Thank you. We're going to get into talking about this book, this workbook that you've published recently called Learn of Me a little bit later, but it's relevant in the sense that what we need to talk about with respect to prophets and revelation, is this idea of their role to teach the true nature and character of God. And so how, how do we see that in our day? How do prophets teach the character of God? Well, I think President Nelson has talked a lot about that prophets, one of their important roles is to help us understand divine law. And so part of understanding God is understanding his laws as well. So they teach us commandments, they teach us his laws, his ordinances, his path, all of those things. And they and that path helps us to become more like God and to know him better. But also they are special witnesses of the Savior Jesus Christ to all of the world. And so they have in their testimony, a special spiritual endowment because of the office of apostle that they hold in the priesthood, that they can witness powerfully of Jesus Christ, of his nature, of his teachings. I know that for me personally, most of what I have come to know and love about the Savior Jesus Christ has come in addition to scripture, through the testimony of living prophets and apostles, what they teach about him, what they help me understand about who he is and what his relationship is to me as a covenant member of his church. And so they play a very key role in helping us to understand who the Savior is and who the Father is. And that's an important distinction that we we kind of talked about offline about how there might be people that we are teaching as missionaries they come up against the necessity of prophets, mm-hmm. authority, and as that relates to ordinances and covenants, how there may be some question in people's mind about, well, why do I need to get baptized again? And how, how 
Why are profits important? How do those things relate to this discussion? Well, I think, for example, sometimes if we are teaching someone who says, why do I need a profit? Because I already have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and I can just get, even if they don't use the term revelation, right? They're like, they may think, I can communicate with God and get answers that I need for my own life, and that's absolutely true. But what's interesting is I think if we probe that a little bit further and ask them, how do they even know who Jesus Christ is or who God is? Many times they can trace that knowledge back to Scripture. Our knowledge of who the Savior is comes from the New Testament or the Bible, which is a collection of teachings by prophets. And so when if we can kind of tie that in to our knowledge of the Savior comes through prophets and the faith that you have and that I have could not exist were there not prophets that taught us about him and then testify that there still are and that our knowledge and relationship that we have with our Savior can grow and be enhanced by ongoing witnesses that can teach about him the same way that those in scriptures have done. So as a doctrine, we again emphasize the need for something to be related to our salvation. And that's why we are focusing on it because it's relevant to our salvation. It still can be unclear for some as to why a prophet is needed for salvation. It almost feels a little like we elevate them to the point of a savior. But why are prophets necessary for salvation? Okay, so the first thing I want to address is that in our church, we do not believe that prophets are infallible, right? These are normal men with um, weaknesses and human foibles that have been called to high and holy callings and given an endowment of power and knowledge to help them fulfill those callings, and they have authority to fulfill those callings, but they do not replace the Savior. Just as prophets of old, Moses, Isaiah, they were men who openly acknowledged their weaknesses and their inabilities, but the Lord qualified them to represent him and to to use their mouthpiece as a way to bring people to the Savior. Prophets today have have that same role. How does that have anything to do with our salvation beyond just the fact that we need to know the Savior to be saved, right? The huge part of that answer is the priesthood keys that they hold because there are ordinances that are necessary for our salvation. And those ordinances with authority are not available to us unless there is a prophet, someone on the earth that holds the keys to exercise the priesthood on the earth. And the prophet is the only man on the earth that can both hold and exercise all priesthood keys. So we do not have access to baptism, to temple blessings, to sealings, to anything that would be necessary for salvation and exaltation if there were not a prophet authorizing the use of priesthood keys for saving ordinances. And that seems like something that's a lot easier, to a, a pill to swallow, if you will, when you have a testimony of the Book of Mormon, even, or yes. just some of the other claims that we have. So missionaries are talking about prophets and we encourage people to get their own testimony of prophets. There is also the other side of this that I would say is the relationship of prophecy that's often attached to prophets and this side of revelation. Missionaries themselves often are taught or given the impression 
that their stewardship entitles them to certain revelation regarding their stewardship. Yeah. I agree with that. In what ways are there limitations on a missionary themselves receiving revelation as if they were a prophet for their areas? Right. So I think it's important to distinguish that while there is some kind of a hierarchy in missions as far as callings or assignments, like an assistant to the president or a zone leader or a district leader, the hierarchy has much less to do with the power that they have over a certain group of people as it does with to whom they should be reporting. So now they report a little higher up the scale and they have an accountability to, to a different person. A missionary has an accountability to a district leader. District leader has an accountability to his own leader. So it's, I think that we can avoid pitfalls of pride and overinflated <laughs> sense of power if we recognize that it really just means an increased accountability to someone at a different level. And and with that responsibility, certainly there is a stewardship, and we can receive revelation um, of how to inspire those within our area circle of influence and um, how to best meet their needs and help them to meet the needs of those whom they teach. And we can seek and receive revelation to teach and help them in that way. But it should all be within the guidelines that are set by those who have priesthood keys. So those, some of those guidelines have been set by the First Presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve when they've created like a missionary handbook and there are policies and procedures in place. So one should not claim to be receiving revelation to do missionary work in a completely different way than how it has been revealed, but also by those who have keys over their specific mission, which would be the mission president, who will have certain guidelines of how things are done. And they should not try to go beyond that scope without authorization from one who does hold keys. Yeah. So we should probably make a quick distinction then on who holds keys and what the keys are for. When it comes to a missionary, do they hold keys? Uh, they they hold keys are by definition rights of presidency, and so they are only held in a presidency and by a president in that presidency, as far as exercising the keys. Even in a stake presidency, the counselors do not hold keys; only the president holds keys. Now, with the first presidency and the quorum of the twelve, they all, by nature of their office as an apostle, they all hold keys, but none of them can exercise those keys without authorization from the president of the church, who is the only one who can both hold and exercise all priesthood keys. So those keys are the same keys that were revealed to the prophet Joseph Smith through divine visitors and things like that, the sealing keys, the keys of the gospel of Abraham, and all these different things, those that have been revealed in our dispensation. And so when an apostle, for example, receives an assignment to go open a country for missionary work, he does so under the authorization of the president of the church to use those keys of building the gospel uh, in all nations and go and act under that direction. Yeah. So for the investigator, if that's the right word anymore, I don't know, the person that's being taught the gospel, there still might be a question as to why a prophet is needed today and in what ways that influence is still relevant and necessary. Okay, so beyond the beyond the really important 
emphasis on priesthood keys and yeah, saving ordinances. Which might be a kind of a foreign idea to them. Right. And that really is one of the most important reasons why prophets are needed, and it would require a testimony of that of that yeah. authority. But also beyond that, there is the idea that prophets are also over the kingdom of God on earth. They are given administrative authority over the church, and that church has a mission to be build up, just like prophecy in the Old Testament, the stone rolling forth to build and prepare the world for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so it is under the direction of a living prophet that the church is prepared to receive the Savior and prepares the earth for the Savior. And we each receive assignments and roles and participation and things that we do under the direction of a prophet to help fulfill God's mission for his children on the earth and to prepare the world for, to receive the Savior. And so that includes the covenants and ordinances for the living and the dead. It, it, it also has specific revealed direction to covenant people as prophets who are seers and who can see what is to come and see beyond what we might know can give us counsel and direction to prepare for things both to receive the Savior and also for our own protection for the dangers and things that are seen in the world. And so someone might have a personal relationship with the Savior, which can help them individually to know many things, but a prophet can direct the whole kingdom of God and a covenant people in ways that can prepare for the Savior and protect us as a covenant people. And that might be a good spot where a missionary could share testimony building experience of where they listened to the prophet Mm -hmm. in their counsel and that that protected them, blessed them, in some way prepared them for the challenge that they in life. Right. And it's important to acknowledge that the reason we even have prophets, living prophets, is because the worlds and the, dan- the the needs in the world and the dangers in the world are constantly changing. The values that society holds dear are constantly changing. And prophets are the ones that can help us kind of cut through the many different voices and the many different distractions and help us to know what is important for us to focus on that will keep us on a path that will lead towards our salvation and exaltation. One of the ways that I think, well, President Nelson talked about the necessity or the the need for greater strength in the coming years. Yes. um, And that revelation itself will need to be a, a stronger part of our lives. And one of the ways that he encouraged us to do that and fulfilled his role as a prophet was to study the gospel, uh, specifically Jesus Christ through the topical guide. This is where your book comes in. And well, tell us a little bit more about your book and how that is related to this role of a prophet. Yeah, well, let me just kind of introduce that with my own testimony of the fact that when we are given prophetic counsel and challenges and we choose to act on that, the promised blessings do come into our lives. And so in this case, President Nelson made a challenge. First, it was given to the young single adults and then later to the general membership of the church to study everything that was written about Jesus Christ in the standard works. And he specifically said, invited us to start by reading everything about the Savior as listed in the topical guide under all 57 subcategories of Jesus Christ. And there are more than 2,200 different scriptures there that are um, 
about the Savior, about his different roles, about his titles, his missions, the challenges he faced. There's, for example, there's sections called Jesus Christ trials of, Jesus Christ temptations of. And so there's things that happened to him. There are things that he did, things that he said, roles that he played. These are all the subcategories. And so I personally, because I have learned myself that when a prophet issues a challenge, if I take it, I will be blessed, I undertook that challenge myself. And as I did that, I love to incorporate my study of the scriptures with teachings from the living prophets because they give us ideas of how to apply scriptural principles in today's world and circumstances. And so I gathered that information as I studied the scriptures, and that became what this Learn of Me annotated study workbook became. Yeah. For each one of the chapters, each chapter is based on one of the subheadings from the topical guide, and it lists all of the verses, but it also has lots of quotes from general authorities, gospel educators that kind of help us think about how we can apply these scriptures today with the challenges that we face and how we can be more connected to the Savior in our personal lives and connected to this covenant path that we've been talking about. And so this kind of ties back into our job as missionaries, as well as the principle of revelation and and kind of the role of prophets in the sense that missionaries are called to teach of Jesus Christ, yes. to fulfill his mission in, in the world. How does fulfilling this promise or this challenge or task from President Nelson, prepare a missionary to do that more fully. Yeah, well, I think, you know, regardless of this individual challenge or the workbook or whatever, on a much grander scale, missionaries are called to testify and teach of Jesus Christ throughout the world. And they must, in order to increase their teaching power, they must know who he is. And so any investment that a missionary makes in coming to study and know and build a relationship with his Savior will increase his teaching and influencing power within his calling. And so I think that, you know, when I teach at BYU, I teach my living prophet students about the roles of prophets, seers, and revelators. The role of a prophet is very similar to what missionaries do, the, the prophet part of that definition, because they are witnesses of Jesus Christ. They call people to repentance. They invite people to um, participate in ordinances and, and play a role in the plan of salvation. They teach about the nature and character of God and his son, Jesus Christ. And so certainly prophets do that, but that part of their role is very specific to what missionaries also yeah. do. And so it is important that not only do they do missionaries try very hard to know the Savior so that they can teach of him, but they should also kind of have a special relationship with prophets and apostles because they have a shared mission with them. What are prophets teaching? Because that's what you should be teaching. Yeah. There's a lot of evidence in scripture, and maybe this is just me noticing this because I'm in this I'm in this space a lot, but in my last reading of the Book of Mormon, I noticed that there were two things that really kindled the Lord's anger. Okay. Like the times when he starts like destroying people yeah. and, you know, burying cities <laughs> or threatening <laughs> to do so. Yeah. And those two things were not caring for the poor and needy and rejecting his prophets. Okay. And he specifically like will say, because you have rejected my prophets or whatever. And so I think that 
you know, there there is some there is some urgency for us both as members of the church to be careful <laughs> that we don't start rejecting those teachings, but also for missionaries to know that part of a testimony that someone has as they come into the gospel must include this willingness to accept and follow living living prophets. And they need to they need to have a testimony of that, which is maybe that could tie into this I this idea that President Nelson has invited people, I mean, not only to pray about the Book of Mormon and pray about those things, but to pray if these men are prophets and to come to a personal testimony of that. And that's where revelation, personal revelation can connect to the idea that revelation also comes through a prophet. It was kind of like, well, why does it matter if we believe in prophets or not? And yeah. I thought it matters to God. He's angry when we when he sends us prophets and we do not and we just say, eh. And we we don't we don't care about them yeah. like that's I, anyway I just found that was really interesting that okay. I, I noted you know like for example if you look carefully at the chapters right before Jesus Christ comes in Third Nephi Third Nephi eleven so chapters eight nine ten where the voice is coming in all this destruction and he gives his reasons for destroying each town and throwing it into the ocean or burying it he says because you rejected my prophets because you rejected my prophets mm. and he repeats it over and over again. It wasn't for their wickedness. People are wicked all the time. They were wicked all the time. It was because he sent people to them to call them to repentance or to help them, and they rejected that. Well, essentially, that that's what happened with Jerusalem. Right. With Lehi and Jeremiah and, yeah. and that time period yes. as well. Yes. And so it's – I just – like it's just kind of like once I saw that, I just noticed that it was over and over and over again that that's when – you know, that, that in my mind, I saw that there were two times where the Lord really expressed a kindled anger that, that he felt. And it was prophets and then, you know, where he talk, he uses many times the Isaiah scripture about grinding the faces of the poor. So whenever people started to become so proud that they, that they shunned the poor and were not offering them care and things, that really takes the Lord off, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Well, and it's interesting because as I am looking through the scriptures, I'm not looking for where the Lord's angry. Mm-hmm. No, I'm you know, not either. I mean, but... It's just not typical, right? <laughs> but I am. I mean, I look at things through the eye because I teach living prophets. I look at things through the eyes of the role of prophets. Like, what can I? What can this help me to teach about why prophets are yeah. important? And I just started seeing that pattern, and I thought this is a big deal to him. Yeah, it seems to be a parallel from what you just shared about the idea of rejecting prophets, that there are probably different ways that that's done. Mm-hmm. What are the different ways in those, in those scriptures or even today that people reject the prophets? There are so many ways. One is just to outright reject them, to reject their authority. Another is to cafeteria style their teachings where you pick and choose what you want to follow and to ignore certain things. Another way that we reject the prophets is when we um, – simply refuse to seek revelation on the things that they teach where we just decide we don't like that and so it's not true and so we just flat out reject their reject or ignore teachings can you do the opposite and still reject the prophets meaning can you just take their word at face value and not seek revelation and is that a negative well i think it is a safer negative <laughs> <laughs> but um but I don't but I don't think 
what you alluded to about President Nelson saying that the time will come that you will not be able to survive spiritually without personal revelation. Yeah. And so if you are just zombie-like following the Council of Living Prophets, just in a very rote, non-intentional way, without a testimony of their teachings, that will not be sustaining enough based on, from a perspective of seership, the challenges and threats that will be coming to our testimonies. So um, it is important, and President Nelson taught that, you know, that we must seek personal revelation to know that these men are prophets and to have a testimony of that. And we can do that both for them and their callings, as well as we can do that for their individual teachings. And, you know, in some cases, there were, there will often be teachings that rub us the wrong way. President Benson taught in his 14 Fundamentals of Following the Prophet that the prophet can speak out on any subject and can receive revelation. I like to tell when I'm talking to my students about this, I like to say, is God allowed to have opinions about anything or everything? <laughs> yeah. And he is. I mean, we all acknowledge God can have an opinion about politics. He can have an opinion about um, anything that's happening on the earth or in the earth or around the earth. And he certainly probably does have an opinion. And so he therefore can reveal those opinions to his prophets and have them taught to us. We may not like those opinions, but God's allowed to have them. And <laughs> that's an interesting way you put it. <laughs> and so, because when you say opinion too, it makes it sound just kind of like, well, it's his best guess. Yeah, but that's not what that's it is. That's not it. I mean, you know, he has, you know, he has inside access to all truth. He's yeah. the source of all truth, and so he is allowed to make statements that oppose our own opinions about certain matters. And yet that does not undermine the authority of the prophet just because our opinions are different. We do, however, have the burden of proof in the sense that we seek personal revelation and we also need to compare what is being taught to a multiple chorus of authorized witnesses. So because prophets are not infallible, on any one occasion, someone might make a statement that we think, wait a second, that doesn't seem right. Well, the burden of proof becomes ours. We need to seek out what is being taught about that doctrine, and is it being taught frequently and by many of the Lord's authorized witnesses? And if it is, then it's a hard doctrine that we might just need to kind of gain our own testimony of. But if it's not, then it might just be, as Elder Christofferson says in his Doctrine of Christ, one man's well-reasoned opinion. Yeah. And we can take that and maybe it can influence our own opinions in some ways, but it's not some saving piece of knowledge <laughs> that yeah. is, you know, that's being taught frequently and by many that would help us to know that it is something in the role of a revelator that they're trying to get us to focus on. Repetition is a big key. President Eyrings taught a, in, a, in a talk called Safety and Counsel. He said that when the words of the prophets seem repetitive, that should rivet our attention. And so is it being repeated? If it is, you better really grab onto that yeah. and, and try to come to a testimony of that because it's something that the Lord is trying to emphasize. Yeah. One of the challenges that I think missionaries have, well, anybody that's trying to teach the gospel and specifically the topic of revelation, is being able to differentiate our own thoughts from those that are revelation. What are some ways that we might be able to teach that to someone who is, let's just assume, is not very used to feeling the Spirit? Mm -hmm. Well, the most generic sense, I think we can refer to the scriptures in Moroni that talk about all good things 
um, come from Christ and all anything that testifies of Christ or brings us closer to Christ is, a, is of him and we can kind of lay stock if we have thoughts that are that are generous or good or bring us to Christ, we can be sure that those things come from God, whereas things that feel dark or discouraging are not from God. That's not the way that he communicates to us. And so, interestingly enough, there's a lot of evidence, you know, throughout church history and scripture that sometimes those light and dark come right next to each other because when we are receiving light, we also receive the opposition of darkness. And so it's important to be able to teach investigators, when are you feeling the light and what is it encouraging you to do? And when are you feeling darkness or you know, discouragement and confusion and what is that telling you to do yeah. and being able to kind of kind of distinguish between that because oftentimes the dark feelings come with the don't do it. It'll ruin your life. It'll ruin your friendships. And, and it's just like a feeling of fear and doom where the light feelings give us courage and hope to act on what we're being challenged to do in scripture and by the Lord. Yeah. Another way for someone who is newer in their testimony and their experience with Revelation is to compare what they're being taught to Scripture, to something that they do have a testimony in and knowing is from God. And so they can seek out those things and then pay attention to their feelings as they study that and those feelings of light and goodness and comfort that come from the Holy Ghost. Obviously, missionaries have an important responsibility to teach the fruits of the Spirit so that those who are learning these gospel lessons can recognize them as they study and as they as they hear things. Yeah. I'll just say that as a side note, I wish more missionaries would share talks from prophets and apostles with people as they teach. Um, sometimes the language is more accessible to them, and they are authorized special witnesses of the Savior, and their words carry authority and power yeah. that can invite the Spirit as they read. And so, you know, sometimes as you are trying to resolve doubts and things with those whom you teach— Many times you can turn to modern scripture and say and invite them to read this talk about covenants by Elder Bednar and and or about priesthood authority and the restoration, and they will feel the power of the witness that comes through the testimony in the office of their calling as, as they teach and study. So I would encourage missionaries to enhance their investigators' capacity to learn and feel the spirit by introducing teachings of living prophets as well. I think it's great. Especially if you can show them like a general conference talk and they'll feel the spirit of that. Yeah. And they'll hear it from their own voice. Yeah. It, it kind of takes a little bit of weight off the missionary to have to be the one that comes up with the words. Yeah. So, so you know, we often give challenges to read scriptures and things like that, but we're also hoping that they gain a testimony of living prophets. And if, if they can feel the spirit as they read the teachings of these prophets, then that will not only increase their testimony of the principles being taught, but of the role of prophets. Yeah. As I was at the baptism of my youngest daughter, I took the privilege of teaching the talk at the baptism on the Spirit. And one of the ways that I used to describe the process of coming to know the Spirit was that the Spirit speaks the language of heaven. And if you think about it as if it's a language, you have to learn it word by word. You have to learn the alphabet of it. You have to kind of get a sense of how those words are communicated. And in trying to teach that to an eight-year-old, which in essence is a similar approach to someone that's learning the gospel um, from the missionaries, 
I think there's a parallel there that if you take the time to say you had to learn the letters, you had to learn this, mm-hmm. and to let it happen mm-hmm. over time, to not be in such an urgent hurry to think that they need to have an angel come down and yep. convert them for it to count, but that this is something that they will learn over time and that the way that they'll learn it is through what you just said, I think. They, yeah. As they, as they listen to the words of the prophets, the spirit of revelation will become more clear and distinct to them. I can listen to, well, for lack of a better example, I can listen to a podcast that's talking about sports and not feel the spirit. I, I can distinctly tell the difference between listening to that and when I listen to General Conference. Yeah. If I can identify that for an investigator, they can begin to learn that language yeah. more clearly. And I, I love your language analogy. Um, my background is in language teaching, language pedagogy. And so I love to use that example of learning a language with learning the voice of the Spirit. In Second Nephi chapter 31, where it talks about the angels speak by the voice of the Spirit, there's also a little segment in those verses that says that, that God speaks to man in his own language. And I think each one of us have a very individual spirit language. The Lord speaks to us in certain ways, and it doesn't necessarily sound like or look like the way other people feel the Spirit. It's very individual. And since it is a language and it's our language, we just have to figure it out. And like you're saying, you learn the letters, you learn the basics. And one thing that I love to teach in that context is that one of the best ways to learn a language is by immersion. Yeah. And so when, you know, and missionaries who are learning languages can relate to this analogy because you you know in the MTC you learn a little bit but then you show up in the mission field and that language is all around you and I mean suddenly it's like floodgates not necessarily you're learning but the content is coming at you like crazy and you start to pick up on patterns you start to recognize how things work in certain ways and how they sound and you recognize it and it's and it's slowly becomes your language. You you start to get it. Well, the exact same thing is true with the Spirit. If you are trying to learn the language of the Spirit, then the best way to do that is by immersion. Put yourself in situations and in places where you know the Spirit is present. And then you will start to recognize the patterns that are always there. And so, and it doesn't have to actually be places. It can be habits or activities that you do that will invite the Spirit regularly. And the more that you immerse yourself in the places where the Spirit will be, the more you will learn and recognize the patterns of how He is speaking to you. And we can teach that to investigators of the church as well. If they're if they are struggling with knowing if what they're feeling is spirit or whatever, maybe acknowledge together certain things that they know that they would feel the spirit of God. You know, there are certain life events, you know, like the birth of a child or things like that, how you have these feelings of like love and light that, that come into you and then invite them to immerse themselves in some of these other places and see if they can recognize the pattern of those feelings. That's why we invite them to church. We can invite others to come and bear testimony and have them feel that. And we invite them to read the scriptures. We invite them to pray because as they immerse themselves in those kind of habits, they will begin to recognize the patterns in the way that God is talking to them. And when it's not there. Yes. I think that part of what President Nelson's challenge was, was to immerse us Mm -hmm. in that experience of coming to know the Savior 
because we will be in a position, I think, in the coming years that that line of where good and evil is is becoming very hard for some people to differentiate. Mm-hmm. And But the more we immerse ourselves in the study of the Savior and his life through your workbook and, and things like that, that, that we ourselves will become more in tune with that spirit and know how to differentiate good and evil. Yeah, and I would say, maybe this kind of brings us full circle a little bit, but I would say that as I undertook President Nelson's challenge and studied about the Savior, the thing that I personally gained the greatest testimony of was his great power and glory to keep all of the covenants that he has made with me. And that was something that was really powerful to realize that I should have much more faith and trust in him. He has made me so many beautiful promises, and as I studied him in his life, I saw how often those promises were repeated and where he just says, I will do what I have told you I have done. And it just, I felt my trust in him grow so much. And that is the same thing that happens as I listen to the testimonies of prophets and apostles who reconfirm for me the role that the Savior can and does play in my life. And so I'm very grateful for that combined witness of the teachings of the Savior himself, and those are that his authorized witnesses, and how it gives me faith in his covenants and the courage to keep mine as well. Yeah. It's kind of like the parable of the pickle from Elder Bednar from conference a few years back. It's the same immersion idea that yeah. that we immerse ourselves in this and it changes us. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah, it does kind of bring it full circle, right? Prophets teach us of God. Their revelation, revelation is confirmed through the Holy Ghost, and that that revelation will lead us to Christ who brings us salvation. And that's that's the doctrine of, of prophets and revelation. So thank you for adding your two cents. Where can people pick up a copy of your book? Um, it is available at any church bookstores, Deseret Book, Siegel Book. It's also available on Amazon when their stock is right. <laughs> and um, That's called Learn of Me. Learn of Me, yeah. All right. Stephanie Dibb Sorensen, thank you for thank coming you. on. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Latter-day Saint Mission Cast. This again was part of our Basic Doctrine series, though not entirely and fully part of it. But stay tuned because we do have the next in our Basic Doctrine series, Part 8, on marriage and family, the basic doctrine of marriage and family, and I can't wait to share it with you. So please stay subscribed to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or on Spotify. Thanks for listening. Thank you.